Interwomic Ministries presents this message titled, The Love Series, Part 3. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. This is tape number three in our Love Series, and this will be the conclusion of our Friday evening service, August the 29th, and then also we'll put on here our three services, or we'll begin our three services that we held on August the 30th, 1980, in Colorado Springs. It's your spirit, man. There's a part of you called a spirit, and it's right here in your belly. The Bible says out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen? Right here in your belly is where your spirit resides. Praise God. Some of you thought I was going to say that, didn't you? I say that every time. I always say some of us look like we got more of the spirit than others, but that's not true. <laughs> size of your belly doesn't have anything to do with how much of the Holy Ghost you got, amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But right here is where the spirit resides, and this is the part of us that's new. And this new part on the inside of us is not like many of us think. Many people think that when you get saved that you're saved in principle. It's on paper somewhere. That's what they really believe. They think that somehow or another in heaven it's written down and it's a fact in principle, but it hasn't become a reality yet. But your spirit right now is as changed as it's ever going to get. You aren't going to get a new spirit when you go to be with the Lord. This spirit isn't going to be changed. It's not going to be improved upon. And there's a lot of scriptures for that. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says, Put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This spirit is righteous and truly holy. Man, I like to go a dozen different directions right now and start telling you about who you are. But I'm just using this to make a point that this spirit is created in righteousness and true holiness. It is not in sin. When people are going around saying, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, that's not true. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. This physical body had sinned, and your soulish man had sinned, but your spirit man, the part of you that sin really originated with, is dead, gone, non-existent. You don't even have an old man. Did you know that? Your old man is dead, gone, and non-existent, and you've got a new part on the inside of you that is righteous, and it is truly holy. And brothers and sisters, it is not stained by sin. The Bible says out of John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God's a spirit, and He deals with us on the spiritual realm. Most of us are carnal. We deal carnally with people. We deal with people in the carnal. If you don't like the way Jack combs his hair, then you just don't like Jack. Well, that's not the way God does it, amen? God doesn't care if you're like Jim back there, doesn't have any hair, amen? No, I was just kidding. See, the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And in our heart, brothers and sisters, we are a new creature. And we are no longer unrighteous and unable to fellowship with God. We are in God's class. Your spirit is a God being. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When you get born again, God breathes into you his Spirit, the actual, literal, exact same Spirit that Jesus had in his physical body that died, that went to hell, that is now resurrected and is seated at his right hand to God the Father, lives on the inside of me. Y'all believe that? Amen. I don't know how you can believe that and sit still. <laughs> That's hard to do, do you know it? Boy, I, I got a new spirit. And when you begin to realize this, then all of a sudden you can begin to realize that, brothers and sisters, our shortcomings out here in the physical realm, God isn't imputing those to us. God's not holding them against us because He deals with us in our spirit man, and your spirit man's free from sin. Your spirit man is not contaminated by sin. You had a new spirit birthed unto you. Amen? Now, I believe that everybody can understand that up to the point of salvation. But, now here's where the problem comes. 
People believe that when you confess Jesus that He forgives your sins. And for a moment, have any of you, when you first got saved, ever experienced just the joy and the love and the peace that flowed through you to really believe that you were totally forgiven and you was able to enter right into the presence of God? Boy, that's something, isn't it? Nearly everybody, you know, I've even heard people, they've, they've given it uh, names and terminologies talking about the honeymoon that a person experiences with the Lord. But then they make a bad comparison and they say that the honeymoon has to end. Well, it doesn't have to end. It ought to continue on. We ought to continue. The love ought to get sweeter. You know, you sing that song about it gets sweeter as the days go by. I keep falling in love with them over and over again. That's the way that it ought to be. But sad to say, it's not that way with most people. And you know why? Because the person that led them to the Lord and brought uh, the message of salvation to them told them that regardless of how rotten, how sinful, how ungodly they were, God loved them and would totally forgive them and make them a new creature and that sin had no effect between them and the Lord, none at all. And that person believed it and therefore had complete joy and happiness and power, love flowing through them because they felt free from sin. They, it was just exactly as if there was no sin between them and the Lord. But sad to say, after you get saved, most people start preaching sin to you again and start saying, if you don't tithe, God won't bless you. If you don't come to church, God's not going to bless you. God can't bless you. And then I was taught about receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost that God won't fill a dirty vessel. Man, you've got to clean yourself up. I've had people tell me, you can't tell me somebody that smokes got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God wouldn't fill a dirty vessel. Well, brothers and sisters, what are you calling dirty? If you want to use God's standard out of James chapter 2, verse 10, hey man, if you aren't perfect yet, you're a dirty vessel. None of us are going to get it. We better get out from under that old standard. God fills a dirty vessel because that's the only kind he's got. <laughs> God's never had anybody who is qualified working for him yet, amen. And the reason for this, people are comparing themselves among themselves. Well, I'm not as bad as dear old Saint so-and-so over here. You're, you're unwise to compare yourself among yourself. Brothers and sisters, we need to start seeing God demands holiness, and Jesus is the only one that's holy. And when you get in Jesus, God deals with you through Jesus, not through your own actions. Amen? So I'm not getting things from God. And I praise God that he fills a dirty vessel because, you see, that's the reason that we get the power is so that we can start cleaning up. You need the Holy Ghost to break the dominion of cigarettes and tobacco and alcohol over you and all of these kind of things. You need the Holy Ghost first. But, you see, many people have thought they've been taught this, and therefore, when they commit a sin... And what happens when you commit sin? The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you commit sin, you become the servant of sin, and Satan begins to break fellowship. Satan begins to oppress. Satan begins to dominate you. Satan's the one that brings sickness. Satan's the one that brings the discouragement. People have thought God's the one that did that. Preachers have been up saying God breaks fellowship with you. If you want to know why you're feeling miserable, God cut your water off, amen, and you aren't feeling anything from God. God won't fellowship with you. That's wrong, brothers and sisters. That's wrong, because you know what that does? That puts a person right back under the old problem of sin. It's just as if their sins hadn't been forgiven, but our sins have been forgiven. Now, I am not saying that sin's not deadly, but it is deadly from Satan's standpoint, not from God's standpoint. God forgave us of our sins and gave us a new part that is righteous and truly holy and is not contaminated or stained by sin when you commit sin. If you want to understand the Scriptures out of 1 John chapter 3, where it says, Whosoever is born of God does not 
commit sin. He cannot sin because the seed remains in him. He cannot sin. I used to have trouble with that. I used to wrestle with it and say, well, that means habitual sin. You can't continually, continually, continually commit sin. Well, that's not what it means because how many of you have continued? How many of you still aren't perfect in the area of love? You are continually not perfected in love yet. Well, if that's true, that means none of us are born again, right? Because we're continually not what we should be. That's not what it means. It isn't talking about habitual sin. It means just what it says. You cannot commit sin. Somebody says, what are you saying? Well, the part of you that is in Christ Jesus, the part of you that's a new creature is your spirit, and it can't sin. It's not contaminated by sin. You don't sin with your spirit. You sin with your flesh and with your emotional realm. Your personality part of you is the part that lusts after things. And they can be contaminated, and they can begin to be dominated by Satan. And so it's important that you don't yield them to the devil. But the point that I'm making is the part of you who is the new creature and who is in fellowship with God and that God looks upon and that God deals with is not the part of you that sins. It is not contaminated by by sin. It is not stained by your sin, and God does not withhold His anointing and His blessings in your life because of sin. Now, they may be withheld, but they'll be withheld because you've allowed Satan to come in and begin to oppress you and take away faith, and you've allowed Satan to begin to get your eyes off of Jesus. You can't serve two masters at one time. But the point that I want you to see, God didn't change in His attitude towards you because of sin. Now, it's important that you realize this. Because we're all going to sin, we're going to fall short of the glory of God. And if you don't understand this, you'll run from God just like Adam and Eve did and try and hide yourself. Have any of you ever got into a position where you knew you weren't walking with the Lord the way that you should? And most people, your first reaction is what? Don't come to church. Oh, Jim, any of you that are pastors, you can see this. When a person starts laying out, it's not, you know, that I sit there and I don't, I've never felt like making somebody come to church. If you don't want to come to church, I'm not going to drag you to church. But I've seen that when a person starts laying away from the body for a while, brothers and sisters, you better start interceding and praying because they have done something wrong something's gone astray and the first thing is because of this false concept thinking that God's upset with us and God's fixing to put it to you because of that sin therefore it carries over to God's people the immediate thing and we think surely God's people wouldn't love me the same we think that God's love and God's love through God's people and there's a lot of reasons for that <laughs> because that's the way it works lots of times from people but it shouldn't be that way you shouldn't feel separated. You ought to run. Man, when you see yourself in sin, when you've blown it, when you've fallen flat of your face, you ought to run straight to the body of Christ. You ought to run straight to God. The Bible says out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Not when you're on the mountaintop, not when everything's gone great, not when you've been doing everything perfect, but in the time of need. When you've blown it, that's when you ought to come running boldly in and say, Lord, I blew it again, praise God. Thank you that I'm forgiven, and I just believe that your grace and power is sufficient for me. Amen. That's when you ought to come boldly before the Lord. Y'all see that? But instead, most of us run, just like Adam and Eve did. It's an immediate reaction. There is fear in the relationship. And the Bible says, out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that perfect love casts out fear. Because there is no fear in love. Fear has torment. God's perfect kind of love doesn't have any fear. Fear of judgment upon sin. Fear of separation from God. 
Now, I know what I'm saying. It's contrary to nearly everything the denominational realms have taught us because they teach us that, brother, when you do something wrong, God's going to break off fellowship with you. Sin breaks fellowship, but it's because Satan comes in and begins to dominate your emotions, and you will experience broken fellowship, but God didn't break it with you. And the reason this is so important is because when you do blow it, you should run to God. You should be consistent in knowing, saying, Father, thank you that you love me just as much as you ever did and that this sin didn't even affect our relationship. Amen? Boy, that turns me on. You know, I was talking to a lady one time, and she was telling me about an instance where her daughter, she's real rebellious, and her daughter got mad at her, and they had a fight, and she just decked her daughter. Boy, punched her out, knocked her on the, on the floor, 16 years old. And when that happened, she knew she shouldn't have done it, and she knew she did the wrong thing. And her husband was coming home in about, oh, an hour or so, bringing company. She was trying to get uh, supper fixed. She went up into her bedroom, and she knew that if she ever one time started crying, that that was it, that she was going to be crying until that time the next morning. And she said she knew she needed help, and she said, Lord, help me. I've got to have a word. And the Lord spoke to her, and the Lord told her, he says, that's really hurt you what you did because you think that there is some kind of a new hurt in our relationship. Something new came in between you and me. But he said, you know, when I first came into your life, I knew that you were going to do this. And he said, I forgave you long before you ever committed it. And he says, I've already dealt with it. And he says, it's no problem in me. He says, you just need to forsake it so that you can get rid of Satan and you need to go make restitution and ask forgiveness. And she was able to go down and ask her daughter to forgive her and just go on and praise God. Brothers and sisters, that's important. Most Christians can't do that. Did you know most of us feel like we have to bear penance, do penance, bear punishment for our sins? Did you know that I've talked to people, I actually talked to this one man down in Arlington, Texas, who down in South America, the Catholics there, crawl on their knees for a prolonged period of distances, like a mile or two miles, and they get cuts and bruises and things like this to do penance to the Virgin Mary so that God will forgive them. And I talked to a man that still had scars on his elbow and on his knees from doing penance. And we think that's dumb. That's dumb. Why would a person feel like they have to do that when Jesus came and died for our sins? We don't have to do penance. Well, let me ask you what the difference is in that and many of us, because we've blown it, bearing depression and discouragement and hurt and feelings for three or four days until we feel like we've suffered enough and finally God will lift it. Brothers and sisters, it's the same thing. That's pagan. It's not trusting the atonement and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. We feel like we are making an atonement for our sin. We feel like, yes, Jesus paid for it, but certainly I've got to do something. No, Jesus paid it all, amen. And you can't do anything to get forgiven. You are forgiven. He forgave your sins, and you've been forgiven and cleansed. All right, so what is the effect that sin has on you? Sin has a twofold aspect. Sin not only brought a, a judgment from God upon sin, but sin also put us in bondage to the devil. It had twofold effect. Through the Lord Jesus, our relationship with God the Father is completely straightened out, and the Lord Jesus is not going to bring you into judgment for sin. Now, there is chastisement, but chastisement is not punishment, and it is not judgment. Amen? I don't punish my kids for what they do. If you punish your kids, you're wrong. You do not punish, you correct. You chastise. There is a difference. Religion's been teaching us that God's going to punish you for your sins. God doesn't punish you. If he does, what's the purpose of Jesus bearing it for us? Jesus bored and I'm having to bear it too. No, that's not so. God will correct me for my own good, but there's a difference between correction and punishment. So God's judgment has been satisfied out of Romans chapter 8. If you want to look at that, this powerful 
passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin. Y'all see that? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The law of sin and death means that when you commit sin, death follows. Separation, bondage, sickness, disease, all of the wages of sin follow. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sinning and reaping death. Praise God. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In whose flesh? In the flesh of the Lord Jesus. Condemned means He judged it. God judged my sin in the flesh of the Lord Jesus. And I've heard all of my life, boy, God's holy and sin's got to be judged. Until that sin's judged in your life, God can't fellowship with you. Well, I agree with that, but what they're missing is that Jesus bore that judgment, amen. I'm not taking the judgment. God's not taking that punishment and putting it on me. Jesus bore my punishment so that I can walk on with God. Did you know there's a man here in this town that I was told preaches that if you drive 56 miles an hour and if you were to have a wreck and die, you'd go to hell because you broke the law of man and you didn't have time to get it confessed and you'd go to hell because God's holy and can't fellowship with sin. And we laugh at that, but did you know what? If you're going to believe it halfway, I believe you ought to be that fanatical about it. If there's a principle there, you ought to believe it all the way. If God's going to break fellowship with you because of sin, if you've got to pray and repent and get right and get backslide and get saved again, get right back into right relationship with God, you might as well believe it all the way. That's one of the problems with Christianity. We're so, well, I say Christianity, let me call it religion. One of the problems is that we're very selective. We believe part things. People believe, well, God's going to judge sin. But then when it comes to, well, brother, you aren't perfect yet. You're wearing a, a diverse garment. Did you know if this thing's got something besides one material in it, this brother broke the law? You know that? You can't wear polyester and cotton together or you broke the law of God. Amen or oh me. Man, you need to get out from under that law. Well, God doesn't do things like that. It's just the big sins. No, if God's going to judge sin, God's holy. God doesn't look at sins, big and little sins. I've given this example just like if there's a big old plate glass window up here, you can shoot a BB through it or run that piano through it. doesn't matter the size of the hole that you make. The fact is that that plate glass window is broke. And if you're going to replace it, you're going to have to replace the whole thing. Some people say, well, I'm not as bad as this person over here. If you broke the law of God, you're guilty of the whole thing. The whole thing's got to be replaced, amen. Boy, we got to get out from under that law. I believe that if you're going to believe that God judges sin and God's going to break fellowship with you, then nobody in here can have fellowship because none of you are perfect yet. If you're going to believe it a little bit, let's believe it all the way. If it's a principle, it'll work all the way, won't it? Amen. Brothers and sisters, that's inconsistent. If you're going to believe that way, you ought to believe that if you go 56 miles an hour and get killed, you go to hell because you didn't have time to get it confessed. If you're going to believe it part way, believe it all the way. But the truth is, you see, that God has already borne my judgment for sin, past, present, and future. Now, sin is deadly, but not from God's standpoint, because God has dealt with that sin. Sin now, the deadly aspect of sin, is the fact that when you commit sin, you yield yourself to the author of that temptation, which is Satan. And Satan's going to see to it that you have depression, discouragement, sickness, disease. He'll see to it that you have a broken fellowship, but it's not God that broke fellowship. God's arms are still open wide to you. 
You know, most people don't have this concept. They think that how could God use somebody that wasn't really towing the mark? And I've seen, I used to think this myself when I'd see people preach the gospel, and I could see a flaw in them, and I'd say, Brother, you, you blew it. You can't make me think God's the one that's healing these people through you. I know better. I can see through you. You're as phony as a $2 bill. Except we got $2 bills nowadays, don't we? $3 bill. I used to think that. Brother, they couldn't be used of God to do what they're claiming because I can see sin in their life. I thought that to be mightily used of God, you had to be holy. And then I started seeing some miracles happen. I found out I was still the same old person, amen. I still made the same of the bunch, same mistakes, and I began to revamp my thinking a little bit. We saw a man raised from the dead. And did you know I went to bed that night and I thought, well, I don't feel any different. I'm still the same. I don't feel any different. I thought, man, when you saw something like that happen, you'd quit eating. You wouldn't be bothered by mundane things of this life. Never again would there be such a thing as strife. I wouldn't have to go to sleep. I could float around. And I began to find out that, you know what, it wasn't me that did it. It was God that did it. And I was still the same. Praise God. And I began to see that God uses us not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And did you know when I've seen that, it has set me free? I've been free to minister and, and boldly stand up here and preach. Because, brothers and sisters, I'm up and down in my carnal man just like y'all are. Did you know that I preach nearly twice a day, every day of the world, just about? And it's impossible to be consistent and feeling right all those times, as far as I know. Amen. And there's times I come in and I don't feel like ministering, but I just learned, who cares what I feel like? Who cares if I feel blessed? Who cares if I feel anointed? I'll just tell you about Jesus. He's the same. Amen. And I tell you about Jesus, and people get ministered to who through Jesus is, not who I am. I don't come proclaiming myself. I tell you about Jesus and about His love for you, and He's the same whether I'm the same or not. And I've learned how to rest in who Jesus is, not who I am. And there is a rest in that. Amen. That's the only way you can live a consistent, joyful life is just to quit, you know, who cares how I feel? I'm going to feel the way Jesus feels because that's who I am in the Spirit. So anyway, when you commit sin, Satan begins to lord it over you. Does everybody follow that? I don't want you to think I'm advocating sin. Sin's deadly. If you're living a life of sin, you're going to wind up in defeat. But I'm saying it's not God who puts the defeat on you. It's Satan. You are reaping what you sow. It is not God. And that's important. Because if you don't understand this, you will separate yourself from the love of God. The Bible says out of Romans chapter 8, it says, What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or peril or nakedness or sword? As it is written, we are killed all the day for your name's sake. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all of these things we are more than conquered. For I am persuaded that neither height nor depth nor, or, or whatever it says, nor any person persecution, angels, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God doesn't separate you. You never are separated from the love of God. You just don't acknowledge the love of God because of our religious teaching and upbringing. And we're the ones that separate ourselves. We're the ones that are saying, God, I know you can't use me because of what I did. And God's saying, well, I wasn't going to use you because of who you were anyway. I'm going to use you because you accepted me and because you got the name of Jesus. And the Lord's sitting here handing it to you on a silver platter, and you're saying, oh, I'm just unworthy. I can't receive it. And the Lord's saying, but you are worthy through Jesus. And you're saying, no, I'm not worthy. We're the ones that have put ourselves in bondage because we haven't been taught properly. Amen? Let's look at some scriptures over here in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to answer a thousand-year-old debate tonight. Amen? Nobody will ever have any more questions on this ever again. Praise God. In Hebrews chapter 10, 
It's talking about the covenant that the Lord Jesus made. He put a new will into effect. And in verse 10, it says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you know some people make a big old doctrine out of sanctification? And they think that, man, I'm sanctified. That means I've reached a place where I can't sin. That's what Nazarenes believe. That you can reach a place of sinless perfection. You're sanctified. Well, this says you're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Everybody got born again sanctified. That's not a state of sinless perfection. It happens at salvation. Amen. If that rubs your doctrine the wrong way, you ought to get in agreement with the Word and, and just, you know, whatever the Word says. It doesn't matter whose religion it rubs the wrong way. You're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That one offering sanctified you forever. Now, if, after you got saved, if every individual sin broke fellowship with God and had to be repented of and asked forgiveness of again to be back in right standing with God, that scripture wouldn't be true because it says you're sanctified once for all. That one offering did it for all. In effect, that's saying that if that one offering ever could be broken, and if you could contaminate yourself again, then you've had it. Because that one offering was once for all. If it didn't work for all, then there's no such thing as getting back into it. You all see that? Through the one offering of the Lord Jesus, we were sanctified once for all. That means even future tense. God dealt with your future tense failures. Did you know it? Somebody says, Brother, I can't believe God forgave my sins before I committed them. Well, you better because Jesus died 2,000 years ago and he's never died since. And if you don't believe that Jesus forgives sins before you commit them, then you can't get saved. Amen. He forgave your sins long before you was ever born. Praise God. The Lord can do things like that. In verse 11 it says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever... One sacrifice for sins forever. He doesn't have to make an atonement every time you blow it. One sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He perfected you forever. Watch. Your physical body? No. Your soulless man? No. But the spirit part of you, the part of you that is perfect and complete. Out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. That's talking about your spirit man. Your spirit man is just like Jesus is. It is the spirit of Jesus, and it's perfect, and it's holy, and it's righteous. Amen? It is not stained by sin. Is Jesus stained by sin? No. So I'm not stained by sin in my spirit, man. My flesh may get stained by sin, but my spirit, man, is righteous and truly holy. And by his one offering, he perfected that spirit forever. It's taken care of sins, past, present, and future. Your sin does not break fellowship with God. Let's look at another scripture in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 in verse... For it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified of themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. This scripture says that when a person falls away, it is impossible. Impossible. That means you can't do it, doesn't it? It's impossible to renew them again under repentance, seeing they would crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Jesus isn't going to die a second time for sins. There is no second atonement, brothers and sisters. 
if you ever negate the negate or however you say that the first atonement that was made for you there is no second atonement people that teach that every time you sin that you lose your salvation and that you're backslidden and that you got to pray through and get saved again they are not according to the scripture because if you fall away it's impossible to renew you again under repentance it cannot be done if you're going to believe that every last little sin sends you to hell then you've had it because all of us have sinned since we've been saved and come short. If I really believed that, I'd do you a favor, and I'd lead you to the Lord, and then I'd knock you in the head, amen, kill you, and send you to heaven before you had time to commit a sin. That's not true. The Scripture doesn't teach that. But yet this Scripture right here says, if they fall away. Now that right there talks about a falling away, and I've just been saying that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. If your sins are forgiven, how can you fall away? How can you fall away if your sins are forgiven? Well... This is the problem. Some people say that once saved, always saved. You can go out and live like the devil, live in sin, sell yourself out to the devil, and you're still saved. And then other people say, no, sir, brother, you commit a sin, you blow it. You've got to get saved again. You've got to pray through. If you used to die in that state, you'd go to hell. And both of them use Scripture. Now, how do you answer that? I want you to love me anyway, whether you're going to agree with this or not. I love you, but I, the Lord's answered this for me, and it fits perfectly. And did you know what? The scriptures that the Pentecostals use for getting saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost, I can use them to say what I'm saying. And the scriptures that the Baptists use to say that you're saved once, always saved, and there's no such way that you can be lost, I can use those too. I don't have to pick a few and say, these are the ones I'm going to believe, and I don't know about these. I can just use them all, amen, and they all fit in, and I believe that that's proper balance. I believe that the Lord's given me a good answer to this. Your sin cannot send you to hell because your sin's been forgiven, past, present, and future. Somebody says, well, brother, not every sin sends you to hell, but the big ones. <laughs> no, there aren't any big ones. It's just like we was talking about. If you're going to believe that a sin will send you to hell, God looks at sin as being sin. And going 56 miles an hour is enough to send you to hell. All of us have blown it. Isn't that true? James chapter 2, verse 10, that if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. So if you're going to believe that sin sends you to hell, and if you're going to have God's proper perspective on what is sin, then nobody's going to be going to heaven. That's not true. Sin does not send you to hell. All right? If sin doesn't send you to hell, how could you lose your salvation? You can't because of sin, but God gave you a free will. God never made you get saved, and the Lord will not make you stay saved. And with your free will, if you were enticed by Satan... And if you start living a life of sin, the Bible says you harden yourself through sin. You become deceived through sin. And if you start practicing a life of sin, you're going to put yourself in a compromising position and Satan is going to do everything within his power to bring you to a point of rejecting your salvation. It is not the sin that would send you to hell. It would be your free will that would send you to hell. So there is a truth. The Pentecostals have a truth. The Bible talks right here about if you fall away. And I used to always say when I was a Baptist, well, that's hypothetical. That's talking about if it was possible for you to fall away. That's not what that scripture said. It doesn't say that. You can't get that out of it. I tried and I tried and I'd get up and I'd preach it. And I just hope nobody nailed me to the wall because I just knew it didn't say that. It doesn't say it. It's not a hypothetical case. It talks about if somebody falls away. If it's talking about somebody falling away, then somebody can fall away. It's a reality, but it is not because of sin. You see, the Baptists got a truth. They see that you aren't saved by works and that you aren't maintained by works. And they've seen the bondage that comes when you sit here and try and trust your own works to maintain your salvation. So they have deducted from that that therefore you don't lose your salvation because of sin. That's true. So they've said it's impossible for you to lose salvation. That's not true. 
It is true that you can't lose it because of your sin, but God gave you a free will. And brothers and sisters, you have to maintain the profession of your faith. You have to protect your heart. And you go out and start lollygagging around and living in sin, and I guarantee you, you don't have any assurance that you're going to hold fast to the end. You don't have the assurance that if somebody stick a gun to your head and say, you renounce the Lord or I'll kill you, you don't have the assurance that the power of God will be flowing through you to be able to stand and maintain your confession of faith because you've been sitting there living in sin. Sin's daily. I am not advocating sin, but I am sharing with you that sin is not judged of God because God has already judged it in the flesh of the Lord Jesus and you do not lose your salvation. You don't lose fellowship. You don't lose blessings. You don't lose anything from God's standpoint because of your sin. But it is possible to renounce your salvation. And see, that's what the other side uses to sit there and talk about being saved, lost, saved, lost. But they get into the area where it's not your will that renounces that salvation. And they teach that you can get saved again. Pray through. Get back in fellowship. That's not what the Word teaches. Once a person commits uh, the rejection of their salvation, they are reprobate, they are damned, there is no hope of salvation. Judas is called the son of perdition. The word perdition means loss of soul health. How could he lose something he didn't have? Judas was in right standing with God and he rejected it and he lost it. And he could find no repentance. And let me say this, unless somebody comes under condemnation, I've had some people say, but brother, I feel like I've done that. I feel like I've rejected the Lord. And they're under condemnation, they're under conviction, saying, you mean there's no salvation that I'm reprobate? If you'll read Hebrews chapter 6, it puts qualifications on this. It says, first of all, in verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. And I believe that's talking about the gift of salvation and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good Word of God. This is talking about a person who got into God's Word, not talking about what we consider an average Christian. Our normal Christian is so subnormal that when a person begins to act normal by what the Bible says, everybody calls you abnormal. Right? This isn't talking about what we consider a normal Christian. It's talking about somebody that knows the Word of God. Somebody if they shall fall away, it puts restrictions on this. Not everybody can do this. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of people who have turned around and rejected their salvation, but they haven't had the understanding of what they're doing, and God hadn't held it against them because they hadn't fulfilled these requirements on it. I've got a little son, Joshua and Peter, two sons. And if Peter, he's three and a half years old, if he was to get mad at me and say, I don't want to be your son, I'm not a womack anymore, well, Peter's frowning at me. You wouldn't do that, would you, Peter? <laughs> no, boy, he looked at me like, I wouldn't do that. But if he was to get mad at me and do that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow him. He's not on his own yet. He can't make that kind of a decision. He doesn't understand what he's doing. You see, he hasn't uh, been established enough to make a proper judgment, and I wouldn't hold it to him, hold him to it. But if he gets to be 30 years old, and if he turns around and made that decision, and if he had his right mind, I not only would have to adhere to it, but the law would make me adhere to it. They've got laws that allows a person that right of choice. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. When you pass a point that I don't know how to judge where it is, I believe God's the one that makes the judgment. It is possible for a person to reject their salvation. But you can't do it by mistake. It cannot, you can't lose it. That's really a bad terminology. You can't lose your salvation. You have to willfully reject it and throw it away. There is no such thing as losing salvation. There is such a thing as rejecting your salvation. But you can't lose it. You can't do it by mistake. Amen. You've got to willfully turn on that thing and reject it. It has to be a willful act. And if a person commits it, 
Let's look at a scripture over here in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is telling you about some people who did this and who committed this. In Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 23, it says that they changed the glory of the incorruptible God unto an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another. Man with man, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And this right here, see, is talking about a person who had been enlightened. If you'll read verse 18 through 20. Let's just back up and look at verses 18 through 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When you hear somebody say that, well... I just, you know, never have heard about the Lord. The Lord never has convicted me. I don't have any conviction about things of the Lord. I don't have any conviction over my sin. You need to wise up and realize that that's not the truth. The Bible says God revealed himself from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man, even his eternal power and Godhead. That's talking about the Trinity. Every last person has had revealed on the inside of them a consciousness of God. And when a person says they're an atheist, that is a lie. They are claiming to be an atheist. They can harden themselves and they can reach a point where they have deadened themselves to that inward witness to such a degree that they may really believe it. But down on the inside, they've heard the voice of God. God has spoken to them. And if you can just bypass that exterior and reach their heart, you can quicken those cords that God's touched. I talk to a lot of people who claim to be an atheist, and I just sit there and say, well, I know that's not true. And, well, are you doubting what I say? And I say, sure. And I just take this scripture and I show them God's revealed himself. You know better. And I start telling them what God's been speaking to them on the inside. And when they hear it with their physical ears and realize that that matches what they've heard with their spiritual ears, I've seen people who claim to be atheists say, you know, you're right. I have had those thoughts. God has spoke to me. And you can bypass a person's experience. Don't go by what a person says. Go by what the Word of God says. God says that he's revealed himself. So God's revealed himself. Amen. God revealed himself to these people, and they rejected what he revealed. Did you know even pagan countries have a knowledge of God? There is no people ever discovered that didn't have a religion. I don't care how remote they are, they've all got a religion. But this said these people took what God had told them, and they perverted it and changed it into idol worship, worshiped these idols and creatures, and they served the creature more than the Creator. So since they perverted what God told them, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And it says down here when it's talking about this reprobate mind in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What that is saying is, since they didn't want the knowledge of God, since they wanted to do it their own way, God took away his wisdom and his knowledge from them and gave them a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means beyond hope. 
A person who is reprobate has no knowledge of God, has no conviction of God, has no desire for God. They know they're going to hell, and they just love it. They are content to go to hell. They are reprobate. That's what the word reprobate means. The reason I'm bringing this scripture out is to tell you that if you have at one time or another said, I just renounced the whole thing, it's not real. And if you feel conviction about it and say, man, I did the wrong thing, you aren't reprobate. Amen? Anybody who's convicted over this is not reprobate, and you have not renounced your salvation. A person who's reprobate could care less. They know they're headed to hell, and they just don't care. The Bible says no man can have repentance. No man can come unto the Father except the Holy Spirit draws him. Conviction about God, repentance, remorse, and things like that are godly qualities, and you can't have them if you're reprobate. So if you're feeling convicted and wondering whether you've done this or not, you hadn't done it. Amen? Praise God. But I want to make the point, it is, it is possible to renounce your salvation, but you can't lose it because of sin. Brothers and sisters, it's secure. It's eternal. Let's look at a scripture over here out of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the scripture says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible. Now these are some scriptures I used to use when I was a Baptist to say it's impossible to be lost once you say. Well, this is saying it's impossible to lose your salvation because of sin, but it does have a clause in here. Amen. It says it's to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. I used to always stop before I got to that. Brother, it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for me, and it's kept by the power of God. No way I can lose it. But it says kept by the power of God through faith. You've got to maintain faith. You can't renounce the faith. It's all kept, it's all preserved, it's established, but it's through faith. You can't sit there and lollygag around, or you could reject it. Amen? And then it says over here, I think it's in Second Peter, it's talking about do all of these things, and it's talking about adding to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, patience godliness, to godliness brother kindness, all these kind of things. And in verse 8 it says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You can make it sure. It doesn't have to be in doubt. It doesn't have to be like some people saying, Oh, will I be able to hold out to the end? Praise God, I'm holding out. Because I've decided with my will, and I'm not going to change. Now, I'm not going to fall asleep and let the devil come steal it from me, but Satan can't steal it. I have to reject it. Amen? I'm making my call in an election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not sitting here telling you that you're supposed to be fearful about, oh, am I going to be able to hang on? No. If you'll just seek the Lord, and if you'll make a 100% commitment of your life to the Lord, you may make mistakes, you may blow it, but you've got the assurance that, praise God, your sin's been paid for, past, present, and future. You're perfected by the one offering, and you can have assurance. You can know that, boy, in an abundance, I mean, an entrance has been ministered unto me abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. I know I'm never going to fall because I've made my decision to go with God, and my sins aren't going to send me to hell and praise God nobody, neither life nor death, principalities nor powers, angels nor any other creature is going to be able to separate me from the love of God. I've got assurance. I've got assurance of my salvation. I'm secure as long as I want to be secure, and I want to be secure, praise God. 
So I am not sitting here wavering in my faith, but at the same time, I'm not ignorant of the fact that if I was to go out and just start living for the devil, that Satan could come in and harden me and put me in a position, and there is no guarantee that I'd be able to last. Amen? Y'all see that? I felt like I had to answer that because when you start talking about this, everybody's religion comes up. And they start saying, well, brother, that wasn't the way I was taught. Well, as far as I can see, that's what the Scripture says. Amen? And all of the Scriptures bear witness. There's, let me share one last Scripture. This is one that throws a lot of people off out of Hebrews chapter 10. Remember, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we just read about that you've been sanctified by one offering forever. It's willful, isn't it? The emphasis on this is the willful part, not the sin, because Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 and 14 shows you that our sins have already been paid for, and this willful has to bear out, it has to be compatible with Hebrews chapter 6, and I believe it's talking about a rejection, not just the fact that, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a person who willfully chooses a life of sin over God. And again, it would have to be a person that has fulfilled the requirements of Hebrews chapter 6. God has dealt with them and told them this is it. Boy, you're getting to a point where your sin wouldn't send you to hell, but you willing to choose sin over me could constitute rejection. And if a person has been dealt with, and if they fulfill the requirements of Hebrews chapter 6, then brothers and sisters, they could commit a sin, and they could lose, they could renounce that salvation. It wouldn't be the sin that did it. It would be their willful choice of a sin over God after they had already been convicted. And again, this is not talking about just doing something you know you shouldn't do. This is talking about a total, complete rejection. A person just choosing to live in sin. Everybody follow that? And let's go on and look at that. You can see this out of the same passage of Scripture, if you'll keep reading. Verse 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? And in verse 29, he begins to tell you about the punishment on this person who does a willful sin. And he says some things here that will give you more understanding about what a willful sin he's talking about. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and it counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and it's done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Now this is talking about a person that just trods underfoot the Son of God, that counts the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. Now brothers and sisters, I've sinned and I've come short and I've done things that I know I shouldn't have done and I've done them anyway. But I've never sat there and just counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. I've never sat there and despised the blood and what Jesus has done for me. And when it says done despite under the Spirit of grace. If you look that word up in the dictionary, it means a willful rejection, a will, just trying to abolish and destroy something. This isn't talking about just not living a holy life as much as you should. This is talking about a person who is bent on just destroying the kingdom of God with everything that they've got. That's the kind of willful sin that this is talking about. So again, that is not saying that if you commit a sin, you lose your salvation and that you've got to pray through. The reason I've made all this point is to establish something that God forgave your sins, past, present, and future. When you got born again, this part of you right here, your spirit man, is complete. And it's holy, and it's righteous, and it is in fellowship with God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says that we have been made accepted in the Beloved. Boy, that's a powerful scripture. I'm accepted in the Lord Jesus. My spirit is accepted. God's pleased with me tonight. 
You may not be pleased with me. You may not like the way I minister. You may not like the way I talk. But God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God sees my spirit man, and God's pleased with me. God loves me just as much as he loves the Lord Jesus. He sees no trace of sin in me, praise God. I've been forgiven and cleansed. As Jesus is, so am I in this life. And Jesus isn't a sinner, and I'm not a sinner either in my spirit man. My spirit man is righteous and holy, and I've got just as much rights and privileges to the throne of God and to the access to the Father as the Lord Jesus Christ does. I've got just as much right and access to healing, to deliverance, to prosperity, anything that Jesus does, because I am Jesus in my spirit man. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, If you be Christ, possessive, apostrophe S, if you belong to Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And if you look up verse 16, when it says Abraham's seed, singular, it says that's not talking about people that descended from Abraham. That's talking about Jesus. So if I belong to Jesus, then I am Jesus and heirs according to the promise. That's what that scripture says. Boy, a bunch of religious folks can't receive that. You know why? Because they're too carnal. They're going by what they can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And they look at this physical body and they say, Brother, I just can't believe Jesus is wearing cowboy boots. Amen? <laughs> says, You just don't look like Jesus to me. And I can't believe Jesus would talk the way that you do. Well, this is not the part of I me mean, that's Jesus. You're just seeing this old vehicle that I get around in. Amen? I'm going to trade this in on a brand new model one of these days. Yeah. This is just my vehicle, my earth suit. Praise God. But there's an inside man on the inside of me that is just exactly ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, holiness for holiness, everything exactly like Jesus. Wall to wall Holy Ghost right here, amen. <laughs> Praise God. And therefore, I'm in fellowship with God. And God says that if you're going to worship Him, you've got to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And brothers and sisters, we've been coming and saying, Oh, God, look what I've done wrong. I know that you couldn't bless me. God's looking at your spirit and saying, I don't see nothing wrong. It's holy. Looks to me just like Jesus. And we're bellyaching, oh, God, I know that you couldn't heal me because of what I did. And he said, what have you done? You're holy. You're righteous. You're perfect. You're perfected forever. I just don't see what you're talking about. God deals with us in the Spirit. If you want victory, start dealing with yourself in the Spirit. Start seeing who you are in Christ Jesus. Start realizing that God isn't imputing your sins unto you. If you commit sin... Sin is going to hurt you because Satan is going to come in and begin to oppress you through that sin. The proper attitude to have towards sin for a believer is that when you do it, say, Father, thank you for showing me I blew it. Praise God. I know that that didn't affect our relationship, but I am turning from that thing and repenting of it so that Satan will not dominate me and then just keep right on going. Amen. God doesn't break fellowship with you. He will not punish you. Now, he will chastise you, but chastisement against for correction, and I'm just going to have to say this. I haven't got time to deal with it. We've got a tape on this if you want to order it on chastisement. Chastisement is not sickness, disease, and things like that. Chastisement is God's Word. God has one method of chastisement. I don't hit my son with a club over the head one time and next time poke him with a stick, next time kick him down the stairs. There is one way of correction that is godly, and that's with a rod on his bottom. Amen. And that's the method that we use. You don't hit them in the eye one time and pull their tongue the next time. There's a proper method of correction. God doesn't hit you with cancer. His method of correction is the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read this to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says this exact thing. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. What is chastisement? It's not punishment. It's reproof and it's correction. Scripture is given for reproof and for correction. 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. God's Word will chasten me. God's Word will correct me, and it will make me perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. If God's Word is given to make me perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, why do I have to have sickness to make me perfect? I don't. Why do I have to have problems to make me perfect? I don't. I'm not saying you can't learn something through your problems, but if you're learning that way, it's your fault. God's not the one making you learn that way. You can learn by hard knocks, but God's got a better system. You could push a kid out in front of a Mack truck, did you know it? And if that kid got run over and lived through it, they might learn that you don't run out in front of Mack trucks. They might get a good lesson through that, and they may never get over it. They might gain a healthy respect for running out in front of Mack trucks. But that's not a proper method of teaching them. Because you're running a good risk, they won't live through it. The proper method is to spank them and correct them so that they will obey your voice. Whether they've got the understanding and the reasoning to understand about traffic or not, they learn to obey your voice. God corrects us with His Word. If you don't obey His Word, you may run out in front of the devil and let him run over you. And if you live through it, you may learn not to do that again. But that wasn't God that had the devil run over you. That happened because you didn't obey God's correction and you brought that on yourself. Amen? That's not the way God does it, brothers and sisters. God loves us. And if you can receive what we've said tonight, boy, it'll change your life. And now you can begin to have that honeymoon all of the time. And when you see a sin enter into your life, just throw it off the mountain, amen? Don't go down in the valley with it and don't go belly aching and doing penance. Just throw it off the mountain. Say, Father, thank you. I'm redeemed. Praise God I know that you still love me. And that I am not losing any of my relationship with you. That I've been perfected forever. And I'm going to turn on this thing and I will not do it again. Because I am not going to let Satan steal my joy from me. I'm not going to give place to the devil. He won't lord it over me, praise the Lord. And you can get rid of that thing and you can go right on with God. And brothers and sisters, you need that. Because every last one of you blows it a bunch of times every day. And you need to understand God's relationship towards you. Even when you've committed sin. God doesn't change one ounce because of your sin. You're the one that changes. You're the one that comes under condemnation and bondage. Sin's deadly, and I'm not advocating living in sin. If you live in sin, I can promise you, you will not experience the blessings of God. But not because God withheld them, but because you've turned your back on God. The Bible says you can't serve two masters at one time. You can't be eating at the Lord's table and eating at the devil's table at the same time. You have to get up and walk away from the Lord's and go over here and eat at the devil's table to operate in sin. You're the one that, that turned away the meat, amen, and went over here and started eating the slop. God's not the one that did that to you. You made the choice. And if you'll understand this, praise God, you can have a relationship now that doesn't waver. Many people make a mistake, they commit a sin, and while they're in the valley doing penance and feeling like they're working their way back to God, the devil hits you with cancer, hits you with disease, hits you with financial problems, hits you with this or hits you with that, and you sit there and you bear it because you feel like you deserve it. And you do deserve it in the natural but praise God, the Lord isn't giving you what you deserve. You didn't have to go down there in the valley. You don't have to give place to the devil, and you don't have to get what you deserve. You can sit there, and I don't care if you've blown it, brothers and sisters. You can stand right there and say, through who Jesus is, in the name of Jesus, I release my faith, and you can receive deliverance and health and prosperity. When I started praying for the sick, I used to be tormented. Because, you see, I had this conception that somehow or another God was going to heal the sick through who I was. And as a result, I was always tormented. And every time I went to lay hands on somebody, Satan would start reminding me, you haven't done enough of this. You haven't done that. You've gotten mad. You hadn't studied the Word. You haven't prayed. You haven't this or that. 
And I begin to sit there and have all of these doubts and unbelief and healing wouldn't flow through me, not because God wouldn't give it, but because I wouldn't believe it because I didn't think I had obtained, that I was close enough. And the Lord finally showed me the things we're talking about. And did you know now, when I lay hands on the sick, I do it through who Jesus is and I don't even consider myself. I don't even think about it. Andy, have you been living holy enough? Brother, have you fasted and prayed for this meeting the way that you should? God doesn't do things because I fast and pray. Did you know it? Fasting and praying moves me, not God. That's a whole other teaching. I had not got time to go into that. I'm not telling you not to go to church, but going to church benefits you, not God. Of course, it benefits God in the long run because as you get benefited and start operating in the joy of the Lord, people will be swept into the kingdom of God. But it doesn't make you more accepted with God. God loves you whether you go to church or not. Amen? Well, a lot of people, uh-uh, brother, you can't tell me a person that doesn't go to church, God wouldn't love you, something's wrong. Well, something's wrong, but God loves you. If God's going to hold sins against you, which one is it? Going to church or sitting there getting upset with your children? No, they're all the same. God loves you whether you go to church or not, but you're dumb if you don't go to church. Because the Bible says that you'll harden yourself through the deceitfulness of sin unless you let the body exhort you daily while it is called today. Brothers and sisters, if you don't come to church and fellowship with the body of believers, you're just dumb. Amen? God loves you, you dummy, but God, but you're dumb. I don't mean that bad, but I'm saying that you need to realize that it's you that you're hurting. Satan's going to come in and take advantage. If you don't study the Word, you're hurting yourself, but God loves you just the same. If you don't fast and pray, you're hurting yourself, but God loves you. God will give it to you whether you fasted or not. Did you know it? Fasting doesn't earn anything from God. Fasting gets you in a right relationship. Fasting gets your mind off the things of the world and stays it on the things of God. Fasting changes you, not God. And we've all been taught to think that, boy, I'm going to fast and pray until God does something. And you think that, boy, you're, you're earning it. That's the reason you had not got anything yet. Because you know what? You haven't earned enough. And you'll never earn enough. You'll never match up and be worthy of anything from God. If you're going to start going on the basis of who you are, you'll always be short. So just start resting in Jesus and in the fact that you're forgiven. Amen? And that your spirit's in right relationship. That your spirit's the spirit of Christ. And you've got rights and title deeds to everything God and that God has. And don't you let any man, I don't care if he's got his collar turned around backwards or if he's got a degree hanging on the wall. I don't care who they are. I don't care how they shout, roll in the floor or whatever. A man that puts you under bondage and tells you that God won't fellowship with you because this. You just turn that stuff off. That's deadly. It'll kill you, brothers and sisters. If you're in a doubt and unbelieving church, get out of the thing. Amen? Amen? Lots of people don't like that. But I tell you, it's wrong. It's wrong that God's people, there are many of you in here that have been saved for 40 or 50 years. And this is maybe the first time you've ever heard what we said tonight. And yet this is a fundamental. This is sins being forgiven. We're talking about the basics. And most Christians are ignorant of it. Why? Because religion doesn't teach this. Religion teaches bondage. You know why? Because a carnal man can understand sin. A carnal man can understand judgment, and those preachers got to be able to dominate their group somehow. They got to pay the bills and keep the utilities on. They got to get some money somehow, so how do they do it? If you don't tithe, God's going to burn your barley fields. And you instill fear in people, and people go shelling out that money, amen, to buy God off so that God won't burn their barley fields. And that's exactly the reason that religion is preached and ministered the way that they have because they've got to motivate people to come to church somehow so they tell them if you don't go to church, brother, you can't be saved. 
I had a lady that came to our service on a Wednesday night, and her preacher found out about it. He didn't like me in the first place. And he told her, he says, you aren't saved. If you don't come to this church, if you forsake the assembling of yourself with God's people, you're going to lose your salvation. That's bondage. And he did that as a tool to manipulate that lady and put fear in her and get her to come to church. You need to be coming to church because you love to come to church, because you want to come to church. If you're coming out of fear, it's not benefiting you. You might as well stay home and watch the TV. It's not going to benefit you if you come here and think that you're buying God off or that you're appeasing God by your actions. You do it as a work of love. If you're doing it as a work of the law, it's not going to benefit you. Amen? So don't allow somebody to put you under that bondage. Walk free tonight. If you can understand that you're free from sin, then you know what? Sickness has no right in your life. Because sickness is a result of sin, and praise God, sin's gone in my life. It's not having dominion over me. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin isn't going to have dominion over me. Therefore, any result of sin is not going to have dominion. Sickness, poverty, anything that came as a result of sin, it will not dominate me because I am sinless in my spiritual man, and that's the part of me that I'm walking in. I'm dealing and getting things through who I am in Christ Jesus, and in Christ Jesus i got no reason to be sick because I'm forgiven and cleansed and set free from sin. The Lord Jesus freed me. Praise God, sin doesn't have dominion over me or over you. Y'all believe that? Boy, I like that. Amen. If you believe that, brothers and sisters, you can break the bondage over you because the only right that Satan ever had to dominate you and to put depression and things on you is sin. Sin opened up the door to the devil. Sin did all of these things. And through Christ Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. It's no right. He doesn't have the right to do it if you'll sit here and grab hold of the truth and just stand up and say, I'm forgiven, Satan. I stand against you and believe that God's power is available to you. You can break that dominion over you tonight. Amen. You can get free from Satan's dominion. You don't have to live like that. And if you'll receive the truth, the truth will set you free. This is the end of Friday evening service, and now the beginning of Saturday morning service, August the 30th, 1980, Colorado Springs. This morning what I'd like to do is just take 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about God's kind of love. That's what the word charity means. The word charity, you know, people always say that that's mistranslated. It should be translated love. If you look charity up in the dictionary... The archaic meaning and what it meant when this was written was it means brotherly love, which this is a better translation than just plain love because when you say love, lots, you know, love means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. People say, I love ice cream and I love my dog and I love my wife all in the same breath, amen? Well, you, you, when you say charity and if you use it in the sense right here that it's used, you're talking about God's kind of love for your brother. And out of 1 John chapter 4, the scripture says that if you say that you love God, and you hate your brother, then that's just not the truth. You cannot love God whom you have not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen. So God's kind of love has to be manifest in our relationship to other people. Now this goes to getting personal in a hurry, did you know it? Because I don't know how many people come to church services and they sit here and they're taught they're loving the Lord and say that they're loving the Lord and they're fighting like cats and dogs at home. It's not God's kind of love. Amen? God's kind of love has to be manifest in your love towards your brother and sister. And I didn't say that. The Scripture says that if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. It is not God's kind of love if you're striving one among another. If you've got envy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth, because that didn't descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and devilish, is what the Scripture says out of James chapter 3. So God's kind of love has to be manifest in a love towards your brother. 
Amen. And you can use a lot of the things it's going to be talking about right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as a barometer to find out where you are. Now, I want to make it clear that this morning we are not going to say any of these things to condemn anybody. This will step on everybody's toes. Amen? But God heals your toes. But this will step on everybody's toes, but don't get condemned by it. Instead, just use this to say, Father, thank you. Praise God. I need to get in the love of God. And I want to reemphasize a point that was made the other morning. There's a lot of people that weren't here. But God's kind of love is not a feeling. It is not something that comes on you and you have no control over. The world has perverted this and made mockery out of what love is. They talk about falling in love and falling out of love. There's no such thing as falling in love in the sense that the world talks about it. Did you know it? It is not something that you get struck with and all of a sudden you've got an overwhelming compassion for a person and you just can't control it. If that's so, you need to get delivered of that. Did you know it? God's kind of love, according to Titus chapter 2, can be taught. You can teach yourself to love. And I talk to a lot of people that say, but I just don't love my husband anymore. I don't love my wife anymore. Well, what you're talking about is you don't have that lust that you one time did. God's kind of love can be something that you decide and you can will to love a person. Amen? And I think you need to get that straight because, brothers and sisters, there's lots of times that if you're operating in a carnal love and if your husband or wife is being mean to you, you can't love them with that natural love because, you see, the natural love only loves when it has something to love. But God's kind of love loves you not because of who you are but because of what's on the inside of you. Does everybody follow that? God loved us not because we were lovely but because God is love is the reason that he loved us. It's something he chose to do. Love is his nature and God chose to love us. And so if you are falling out of love with your mate, it's because it's not God's kind of love. And you can sit down and with your heart say, I choose to love them with God's kind of love. And you can say, I love them. And with your, with your mouth, the Bible says, you can bridle your body and you can begin to bring God's kind of love into manifestation. You can take somebody that is unlovely, that looks bad, smells bad, acts bad, does everything, and you can will to love that person. And you can get God's love flowing in your heart. Amen? Sad to say, most marriages don't even know that. Most marriages don't operate like that. Most marriages, you get on my bad side, and I'm going to let you have it. That's not God's kind of love. Amen? And so many people say, but you just don't know what my mate does. And I'm not doubting that maybe your mate's a rascal. Maybe your mate's the root of the problem, but you can still love them. Jesus loved us, and did you know you weren't worth loving? Amen or oh me. Somebody think you was worth loving? You weren't. And God loved you just because he loved you. And you've got that same kind of love. The Bible says out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God forgave you. And he says we are supposed to forgive and love in the same way as God for Christ's sake has done it unto us. God gave us that command, so therefore we've got the right and the privilege to do it. We have God's kind of love available to us. Out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to say some things in, um, before we get into this because many people have taken love and they have perverted it. And um, I think I'm going to minister on that in this afternoon service about what God's real kind of love is. And I believe that this will help put some things in balance because there's some people that have gotten into what I call a sloppy agape. And we need to get out of that and start realizing what God's true kind of love is. But many people have taken 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and they say that love is superior to the gifts of the Spirit. 
And they base that on the last verse of the 12th chapter where he says, Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And they say that the more excellent way is, is love, and that if you ever grow up and get into love, you don't need such trivial things as the gifts of the Spirit, power and demonstrations of the Spirit, manifestations and things like this. Well, that's not what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is saying. It's saying that the gifts operating in love are superior to the gifts operating without love. Amen? Love, uh, according to the last verse of the 13th chapter, is the greatest thing that God has given us, but God never intended for his kingdom to be broke up into different segments. And one person gets strong in an area of love and deficient in the area of the gifts. One person be strong in faith and deficient in other things. Did you know that you can direct your faith in the Lord? A lot of people don't understand that. They think that if you're going to be used of the Lord, you've got to be perfect in all areas. Well, that's not so. The Baptists, you see, how they preach is salvation, forgiveness of sins, and they get strong in forgiveness of sins. And I mean, man, they may hold on to their salvation, and they preach, boy, saved by grace, and they hold on to that, and they're deficient in other areas. And I'm not picking on the Baptists. I just say that lest anybody think I'm prejudiced against a certain group. Amen. That's what I was. But it's the same in every different denomination. They got one stronghold that they direct themselves in. Some people have taken the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they got their faith released in that area and they're deficient in every other area. God never intended for us to do that. God intended for us to grow up into all of these things. And the Bible says out of Colossians chapter 3 that love is the bond of perfectness. I was meditating on that one day and I used to be a cement worker and, and uh, lay brick. And the Lord showed me it's just like love is the mortar. There's a lot of different things. Faith is important. Right? Giving is important. Confessing the Word of God is important. There's a lot of different things in the Word of God that are all important, but love's the mortar that holds them all together. Love's what makes it all work. You, get every, you can get all of these things put in there, but if you don't have them all bound up by love, the thing will fall apart when it comes under a test. So love is the mortar. It's the bond of perfectness that holds everything else together. So this is not saying just forget the gifts, forget the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, forget everything else and concentrate on love. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that love, that all of these things operating in love are superior. And you'll find this, that when a person starts operating in love, that the gifts of the Holy Ghost, if they are receptive to it, and if they've heard from the Word of God about the gifts of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Holy Ghost will begin to function automatically. In my own life, when I came out of Egypt and we had just started a church and we were meeting in this uh, little place, we were covenant that the Lord would show us about how to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I started praying about it and desiring all of these things, and the Lord started showing us some of the things we're talking about this morning and showing me that, boy, everything that God does, the gifts work by love. And he said, just start, just start seeking love, and other things will begin to happen. And immediately we begin to see the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and things like this. And it came out of love. There's some people that seek the gifts. And the Bible does say to seek prophecy, to seek to uh, prophesy and to do all of these things. But the best way is to seek love, be aware of the gifts, and as love begins to function, the gifts will begin to flow. The Bible says out of 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. You all aware of that scripture? God is love. And when you start operating in love, this is, a, this is a key that has helped me tremendously. Like we saw some people really minister to last night. There were some people came up and they said, Brother, you, you know, that's exactly what the Lord was ministering. The way that we see these gifts operate is that I begin to recognize God is love. 
And when I'm in a service and I start feeling love or compassion go out of me towards a person, I know that that's God flowing out of me towards that person because God is love. I follow love. And if I feel a certain person single out and if I feel God's love flowing towards them, that's a gift of the Holy Ghost and I'll just get in and follow it. See, I've learned that. Now, all of us at one time or another have felt compassion go out of us. How many times have you ever prayed for somebody and while you're praying for them, you just get a love and a compassion flowing out of you towards a certain person? A lot of us just think, well, I wonder why I'm thinking about that person. Well, what that is, that's God flowing out of you. And every time God moves, he's going to move through a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Ghost. There's a gift of the Spirit flowing out of you towards a person. And when you pray for a person and all of a sudden that person comes to your heart and you just begin to feel a love and a compassion for them, that's God dealing with them. You ought to follow that up. You ought to call them on the phone, write them a letter, go by and see them and say something about, I just love you, I was praying for you, and the Lord begin to minister this. If the Lord has shown you something specific to pray for them, share what God has shown you, and that's a gift of the Spirit. I think we make a mistake because a lot of people think that to operate in the gift of the Spirit, you have to say, Yea, thus saith the Lord, thy God unto thee. Did you know God doesn't speak in Elizabethan English? I always get tickled when somebody delivers a prophecy. Yea, my son, thou art, you know, and all of this stuff. God doesn't speak that way. That's the way they speak. Now, I'm not saying that that's not of God. A person can deliver a prophecy using Elizabethan jive, and that doesn't mean that they weren't inspired of God to do it, but it means that they're religious training. They think that God speaks in these and thou's. He doesn't. That's what the King James Version was written in, but God didn't speak in that. Did you know it? But we sometimes think that, man, it's got to come out in these and thou's and with a yay and all of this, and you've got to have some wild thing happen to you. That's not so. Did you know Norma Lee last night operated in a gift of the Spirit, and she just felt impressed when she walked by Kim that they were believing for a baby, and then in 1981 that they were going to conceive. And she didn't know anything about Larry and Kim. Larry and Kim been believing for a baby. The devil has stole one baby from them. Doctor says it's impossible to have any children. And they've been standing in faith. And normally, you see, didn't know anything about all of that. So therefore, it's the Lord. And it confirms it to them. It helps build their faith. And God used them. And she didn't, as far as I know, do a yay, thus saith the Lord, or nothing. Amen. She just shared that I feel impressed that you've been believing for a baby. In 1981, your womb's going to be opened up. Amen. That's a blessing. That's the love and the that's a gift of the Holy Ghost. And it flows when a person starts operating in love. Be sensitive to that. Satan doesn't have any love. Satan operates in strife and hatred. And when you feel love going out of you towards a person, that's a gift of the Holy Ghost. Follow it up. Minister it. And you don't have to do it in a weird way. Just call them up and say, I've been praying and I just feel impressed that, that I needed to call you and tell you that I love you. Maybe you have a problem or something. I called some people in Louisiana just yesterday because I've been praying for them and I've just felt the compassion for them. I don't have any idea what God's ministering to them, but I'm going to follow it up and make myself available. Amen. They weren't there. I'm going to have to call them back. But God will deal with them. There's times that people have called me up. One time that people jumped on my back. Some people were threatening to kill me, and they hated me. They were blaspheming me, doing everything they could. And a brother from New Mexico called up, and he said, I just wanted to tell you that I love you. And he, said, and he just started telling me how much he loved me. And he said, I don't know why. Well, I knew why, man. I needed it. That was the Lord. And it's important. And if we would start understanding that God is love, and when love flows, that's God flowing. Follow it. And I've learned how to submit to it. We were in a service in Pritchett, Colorado, and I saw a lady sitting way on the back. I didn't know anything about her. But I had been ministering to a lot of people, and I felt such a compassion for that lady. I couldn't hardly control myself. I didn't have one word to say to her, not one. But I felt love flowing. So I called her up. I put myself on the spot. I do that, amen. 
I get myself to where you got to come up with something. And if I feel, I just called her up. And so I stood there and I prayed for her and then I prayed in tongues. I still didn't have anything to share with her. So I said, Lord, I'm going to open my mouth wide and you've got to feel it. Feel it. Because I knew God was ministering to that lady. So the only thing I could say was that you've got a real quiet spirit. I mean, anybody could have told that by looking at her. So that's what I said. And as soon as I said that, the Lord started ministering through me. And I started telling her about how she'd had a broken heart and about how Satan had come against her and somebody very close to her had died and that it was not God that had taken them. It was Satan that had stolen. I said, you have blamed it on God and it has hurt you and it has hindered you. But it wasn't God. It was the destroyer. The destroyer did it. And I kept emphasizing it's the destroyer, not God. And if you'll find the truth, the destroyer will never steal from you again. And I started sharing these things. Did you know after it was over, she came up? She was very skeptical of the whole thing. But she had had a son that had just died, I think, within the last year of leukemia. They had prayed for him. He was healed. But they didn't accept that healing. The father didn't. The father's Church of Christ guy, and he didn't believe in all that kind of stuff. So they didn't accept that healing, and that son died, and she was thinking, God did it. And so see, here was her gift of the Spirit sitting here saying, God didn't do it. Satan did it. And also her son that had died, it was down in Kim, Colorado, he had had a vision and the Lord opened up his eyes and saw a demonic power over that whole region named the Destroyer. And that was her son, the one that had died, that had had this vision. And he said, Mom, that's the one that's fighting us is this Destroyer. There, that town had about 60 people in it. And within a year's time, they had at least seven or eight die of incurable diseases. And most of them were leukemia. And they sat there, and he showed, the Lord showed him that this is the destroyer, a demonic power that was warring against her. And it just so happened that when I was ministering to her, I was saying, it's the destroyer. It's not God. It's the destroyer. I mean, down to the last word, she understood exactly what it was talking about. God set that lady free. Amen. Set her free from all of the bondage and the hurt and the fear that she had had. And brothers and sisters, I didn't have a thing to share with her. All I had was love. And I've learned that if you follow love, that God is love. God moves supernaturally through the gifts of the Spirit, and it'll open you up. Now, there's a lot that you need to learn about the gifts, but that's a fundamental principle, and I can promise you that if you would just start following love, when you love somebody, when compassion's flowing out of you, follow it up. Do something about it. You'll find out that you'll start operating in the Spirit. You'll make a lot of mistakes, but you'll also begin to see that God will use it, and you'll start learning firsthand by experience about the gifts of the Spirit, and there's no better teacher than that. You could learn everybody's ten steps how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and do everything else, but until you begin to follow love when it flows out of you, you won't experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing. Amen? So anyway, I said all of that to say that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is not saying forget the gifts of the Spirit or any of these kind of things. It's saying that the gifts of the Spirit operating in love are superior to the gifts of the Spirit operating without love. And it also, let's start reading with uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now I want you to see, he's not saying that if he operated in the gifts without love, if he moved mountains without love, if he did any of these things without love, that it wouldn't profit somebody. No, it will. Amen. You, there are people out today ministering in the name of the Lord, and they see miracles happen. And they see a lot of good things happen, and many people are ministered to through their ministry, but it's not going to profit that person anything because they are not doing it in love. 
It'll be sound and brass and a tinkling cymbal. He said, it profiteth me nothing. That doesn't mean it won't profit somebody else. And I know firsthand, brothers and sisters, there's times I've got up and I've been out of sorts and I hadn't been what I should be. And I'll share who Jesus is and tell about Jesus and give people God's word and people will get touched because I told them about Jesus. But it didn't profit me a lick because I did wasn't doing it in the right attitude and in the right heart. But it will profit other people. Amen. You need to understand this. Some people think, well, brother, without love, you just can't do anything. No, you can do things because none of us are perfect, amen? None of us have got love down pat. But the better way is to seek this love. As you operate in love, you'll begin to find out that things will begin to be productive in ways that they've never been before. In verse 4, it begins to give you a description of God's kind of love. And I feel that this is important. You can use this as a checklist. And if you'll take this as a checklist, and I want you this morning just to begin to size yourself up, not to be critical, not to condemn yourself. Don't you come under condemnation. But do this for the purpose of finding out, Lord, am I submitting to you? Am I walking in love? And if you find yourself matching up short, coming up short on this, don't get condemned. Just change. Amen. And like uh, Marshall Townsley was talking about rubbing a cat, you know, and sometimes you can rub a cat. And you rub the hair the wrong way and it stands up on its back. Well, if this rubs you the wrong way, just turn around, amen, and let it rub you the right way. Just change. And that way it won't bother you anymore. Don't get upset by it. Just change. Turn around. In verse 4 it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Now that right there, amen, is enough for most of us to meditate on for a long time. If you're operating in God's kind of love, you suffer long and you're kind. Suffers long. You know what suffers long means? That means that you don't blow up just because your husband or your wife does one little thing out of line. Amen or oh me? Amen? That means just because they do one little thing wrong, you don't go to getting upset. Suffering long means that you can take things patiently over a prolonged period of time and you don't get ruffled by it. If you're irritable and if you have no patience, if you can't suffer long, guess what? You aren't operating in God's kind of love because God's kind of love suffers long and is kind. If you feel like you've suffered as long as you can and you just can't take it anymore, you need to get back in God's kind of love. Look at the way God loves us. I used to think that God, you know, I used to hear this expression all the time about that if you don't straighten up, God's going to put you on the shelf. That's what they used to tell me, and what they meant by that was you wouldn't lose your salvation, but brother, God will never use you. He'll put you on his shelf, and you'll just get covered with dust and rust out. And when I was in Vietnam, I used to have a fear that God was going to put me on the shelf, that I had blown it. I asked God to kill me, because not because I was miserable. I wasn't. I mean, I was doing good. I felt like I was not being effective the way that I should. I saw so much sin and junk over in Vietnam, and I felt like I wasn't being effective. So I was asking God to kill me, not because I felt bad, but because I was so ineffective ministering to all these other people. And I just felt like God was going to put me on the shelf, is what I thought. And finally, the Lord spoke to me one time, and he said, Andy, if I was going to put you on the shelf, he said, I'd have done it a long time ago. He says, you've already proven to be a flop in so many ways that if I was inclined to put you on the shelf, I'd have already done it. And you know, that blessed me. I really got blessed by that because I'd, I just looked back about how long suffering the Lord had been with me, and I was seeking him more then than I ever had. And praise God, if he hadn't put me on the shelf yet, he wasn't going to. God doesn't put you on the shelf, amen. He doesn't sit there. God will use you. He used a donkey one time. He'll use you if you're available. You don't have to be spiritual for God to use you. 
Praise God. Now, it helps if you're seeking the Lord. It'll, you'll be used a lot better, but God uses us just because people are available. Did you know it? So God's kind of love suffers long. God has been very patient with us. And brothers and sisters, if you are not patient with your mate, if you aren't patient with your children, if you aren't patient with people on your job, if you're short-tempered, if things got to be done your way and you just can't stand it, you aren't operating in God's kind of love. Don't get condemned. Just get into God's kind of love. Amen? Start cultivating God's kind of love. And again, let me stress this. Some people say, but I find myself deficient there. How do you get God's kind of love? It comes because people think that love is something that you just get struck with. This little naked boy with a bow and arrow goes around and shoots you, and you get struck with love. You fall in love and fall out of love. That's not the way God's kind of love operates. God's kind of love is something that you will to have. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us out of Romans chapter 5, verse 5. So God's kind of love is already there. His love has been poured out upon us, and the way you get it functional is by start believing that you've got it, start confessing that you've got it, and start willing to be this way. If you find yourself not suffering long and in kind, then turn around and take 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when you feel impatience and bitterness and strife coming up on the inside of you, just turn over here and say, Father, thank you that I've got God's kind of love and I suffer long and I'm kind. I will to be that way and I will not operate contrary. And your emotions may be going the opposite direction, saying you're nothing but a hypocrite. You know that you're mad in your heart. Well, bridle yourself with your tongue, and instead of acting on what you feel, act on what you believe, and start saying, I don't care what I feel like, I suffer long, and I'm kind, because I've got God's kind of love. And when you begin to act that way, guess what? You'll bridle your body. You will have what you say, and you will find that God's kind of love will start flowing through you. Amen? It's important. The next thing it says, charity envieth not. Boy, that's important. You know something that's terrible, and I hate to say this even. I hate to even acknowledge it, but it's the truth. And among Christians, there is probably more envy and jealousy than there is in the world. I don't know if I could say more, but there's every bit as much, and that's just not right. I minister in a lot of places, and did you know that most ministers are in competition with each other? Most ministers are knocking somebody else down so that they can get up a little bit above them. It's become an ego thing. We are envious one of another. There's a lot of times that I've seen people in services stand up and give testimonies about how God has performed miracles in their life, supplied financial needs, done things like that, and somebody out there will get envious. Why didn't God do that for me? If that's your attitude, guess what? You aren't operating in God's kind of love. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. You're self-centered. God's kind of love is not self-centered. That's what the word envious really is. The opposite of God's kind of love is self-centeredness. God's kind of love considers the other person first. Just as God, the Lord, considered us. He didn't consider what it was going to cost him. He considered how much it would benefit us when he came and he died for us. His love was centered on us, not on himself. If you are self-centered, you are not operating in God's kind of love. If you are envious of everybody else, if you see other people prospering, why aren't I prospering? You are self-centered. It is not God's kind of love, and that's one reason that you aren't prospering any more than you are, because you've got to flow in the love of God to be able to receive all of this prosperity. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333 
Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.